the incomparable. Number 373, September 2017. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And as we're recording this and releasing it, it is the 30th anniversary of Star Trek The Next Generation's premiere back way, 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 way back in 1987. I am joined by people who probably watched it when it was on in 1987. Bless them. They're here to join me. I definitely was there 30 years ago watching it. Here are my guests. We're going to talk about Star Trek The Next Generation with a, a, an eye towards some uh, two specific episodes, but we'll get there in a minute. Uh, Gene McDonald is here. Hi, Gene. Hi, Jason. Yes, I was old enough to be watching it um, when it was released, but back then I was in graduate school, and we had this thing about having no TVs and staying in the library all the time. I didn't have the right friends back then. So what did you do? Did you not watch it until later? <laughs> That I I would see it like occasionally it would show up oh. you know I would it, I'd be at somebody's house I know it sounds terrible then finally I watched the whole thing you know streaming uh, I I don't know whenever it came out wow. um, available on streaming so years later so that yes is- I I confess I am not I was not a, a original. Uh, TNG. Wow, you're not present at the time. Well, I I was in high school then, so I had plenty of time to watch it. Um, (laughs) And and I suspect maybe uh, many of the other panelists could say something similar. Lisa Schmeiser is also here. Hi, Lisa. Were you watching The Next Generation 30 years ago? When uh, TNG originally debuted, I am very sorry to say I was still in my snot-nosed kill your television phase. And oh. I did. Oh, I know. I did not come to the light oh. until about two years before Star Trek was to end. Um, but I can assure you that although I was living in a college town with no television, when the finale was on, I moved Helen high water to get myself to a finale viewing party. So nice. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. We'll accept that answer. Helene Wecker is also here. Helene, help me out. Were you watching Star Trek The Next Generation 30 years ago? I was not only watching Star Trek The Next Generation 30 years ago, I had become a member of the Star Trek fan club, the official fan club, in order to get all of the swag that came along with um, the premiere issue and and so that I could find out everything that needed to be found out. And I watched the premiere about 400 times yep. um, on... on uh, yeah, on cassette, on, VHS on, on, on my VCR, sure. on VHS, and then the finale I watched in a college dorm in Minnesota with about seventy-five of my closest friends in the TV lounge downstairs. I'm trying to imagine the Star Trek official fan magazine's uh, deep dive into Encountered Far Point, and I'm, all I'm coming up with is sort of like <laughs> Cropler Zorn. What's he really like at home? His likes, his dislikes, his various gray robes that he wears, his hair, his hair care tips. <laughs> Does yes. it have a capsule wardrobe, or is that like a deliberate thing? Or is it a caftan? Is it a? We need like the the next generation version of Spy Magazine to like go out there and and dig up the real dirt on everyone. And David J. Lohr, I know you were watching. You were watching, weren't you? Yeah, come on, come on. Of course, I was watching. <laughs> this is old Next Generation Club. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it's, it is the thirtieth anniversary. I mean, I. I also watched it many, many times in the first week on VHS, and uh, it was disappointing in some ways, but the characters were so good, or at least, you know, there was such potential. My mother and I each started writing spec scripts before the second episode. So, <laughs> explains a lot. Yeah, I was day, watching yeah. that week. I, uh, uh, well, so, so here's, the, here's the story. We watched Encounter at Farpoint. 
And I also wanted to make people watch something else that was maybe not encountered at Farpoint. So I also had everybody watch All Good Things, the final episode of Star Trek The Next mm-hmm. Generation, uh, which kind of wraps around a little bit, which is one of the fun things about All Good huh? Things. Um, I remember watching, like Helene, I, you know, I, I had my v- VCR warmed up there and I recorded it and I watched it again and again. I was so excited that there was new Star Trek and I wanted to get to know who the characters were. And it's actually quite similar to sort of like the excitement I felt when uh, Star Trek Discovery premiered last week, just in a sense, it's like sort of like what's this world like and let's take it apart and what's the ship and who are the people and all those all these people are dead and all these other people are not dead and what does it all mean and and even encounter at farpoint um i i just you know i wanted to just kind of take a dive into that uh, into new star trek and and who these people are and what this world was like um what's funny is i watched it uh, several times in that first week or month and i think like watching it for this episode I'm not sure I've watched the whole thing without skipping parts since 1987. <laughs> well, you knew what to skip. That's... No, that, that, that scene where Riker is has to be taught how to use the uh, location touchscreen in the corridors by the nice crew woman who looks at his butt. Oh, oh. I have no memory of that. <laughs> he gets woman splained twice over because first he's woman splained by the lady who treats him as just a just an object, and then as he's walking down the corridor, the lady computer very helpfully like is like, "Okay, now you turn here because the, compu- the computer has his number too." And she's like, "You know, he's pretty, but I don't know if he knows." We left can't or trust right. you. We, we cannot trust Riker to to like tie his shoes, so we're going to help him with that. I know a lot of people did not notice that at the time. And only noticed it recently, but my mother at the time went, and that's why his name is Commander Man Candy. Mm-hmm. And that was his name for seven seasons. Yeah. The funny thing for me was that when I was 12 and I was watching that, I was like, why does she give him that weird look when he goes away? Does she despise him or something? And I literally hadn't seen it for like almost 30 years. And I'm looking at it now. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, she's checking out. the best like weird checking that I've ever seen. It's just such a weird choice. Like... I, I think it's supposed to. I think it's supposed to establish his lady killer bona fides and to suggest that his effect on Deanna Troy isn't just limited to Deanna Troy, but but verily the wave of Alaskan testosterone that issues forth from him with every step has an effect on on on, on people with proclivities. You know, just... There are so many weird choices in that episode. Oh, so I, well, it's so God. it's so funny because it's such a pilot episode in so many ways, oh. and the. And the actors, it is, I have long contended that actors in sci-fi series are tremendously underrated. Like, you get your, your political dramas, they get all the Emmy nominations and the Golden Globe nominations. And I think it's because no one sits down and realizes the sheer scope of the job that you have to do on a show like Star Trek, where you're like, of course, I'm walking around in this, like, in the year 2525, we're all cheerleaders outfit. And I'm supposed to be like, I feel pain and anger and I have to sell this to people yeah. who literally also have no idea what they're doing. And it's, it's amazing when you look at the level of skill everybody brings to their role. Um, you know, as much as we laugh at Riker, like you have, you have to give Frakes credit for like committing oh, yeah. to it, like from the word oh, yeah. go. He always play, he plays him. Like he is, like he 100% believes in the character. There's no irony there. There's no looking down at the character. And that's there from the word go. It is with all of them. Well, and literally the, the first three years, um, 
my parents and I would sit and watch. We we were there. We we didn't even tape it because we were there to watch it. Right. It was appointment television. <laughs> and then we would spend the next two to three hours afterwards. This was Saturday nights, seven o'clock, Channel 11, New York City. All right. And and then eight to ten would be ripping the episode to shreds <laughs> every week for three years. And but it was the characters and the acting that really pulled us through. You know, there'd be nice moments here and there, but the writing was pretty awful for those th- three seasons. And and then, it, you know, it kept getting better and better and better. But we stuck with it because of the actors, because they were so good. That's what amazed me. Just from watching Farpoint, I'm like... Wow, it's the pilot. It's a really crappy pilot, and Stuart mm. <laughs> is just killing it. Oh, like right. from the beginning, yeah. he was astonishingly yeah. good. Although and the script is super weird, right? Because they made they made yeah. Patrick Stewart. Uh, I mean, Captain Picard is a jerk in this episode. He is an I love it. Off putting. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, but it, it 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 they don't stick with it, right? Like they 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 have to they have to warm him up very quickly after this. But in this episode, he is. This is the whole idea, right? Is that like Riker is much more of a Captain Kirk kind of figure, and then there's Picard, who is like, what is his deal? He doesn't like that there are kids. He yells at Wesley. Um, He's you the know, first doc. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's <laughs> that moment, and, and and Patrick Stewart kills it, right? Like that moment mm-hmm. when he brings after he makes Riker like put the ship back together manually, and, and then calls. <laughs> which we, we can talk about that, uh, but uh, mm-hmm. we, he he he, he uh, comes back comes back into the the ready room, and he's like, um, th- he gives him that speech and and welcomes him to the ship, but he's like, don't, but don't. Um, don't let me make an ass of myself with children. I don't like children and there are children on this ship. And it's just so weird. Patrick Stewart's great. But at the same time, it's like, why? What are you trying to make me feel about the lead of your TV show here? It's so strange. Yeah. So there, there are two reasons I enjoy that. And the first is show related. And the second is just life related. And the reason I enjoy it in the show is I like that they basically admit up front. He's not going to be the kind of hero to whom children naturally gravitate and all animals find as a friend. He's somebody where you're going to have to work to understand that it's possible possible to be heroic and and not like delight in the contact of of little grubby fingers slipping into yours on a scary moment <laughs> um so i like that and also i found it incredibly funny because um i and several other women of my acquaintance like got like binge watch the next generation we were all on maternity leave there is something like innately, <laughs> oh, there is wow. something there is something yeah. innately soothing about picard when you're in like the middle of the postpartum fog and i knew like five separate women who would text me all i can't stop watching i just really look forward to picard between feedings this is this is what's getting me through right now and i'm like you're right it totally is <laughs> i i know another woman uh not yeah. a few feet away from me in this very building mm-hmm. who did the same thing yeah, no, there's just something about the show and more specifically Picard's competence that is just really soothing when you're when you're sleepless. Yeah, you're like yeah. sleepless and you're like there's no way I'm going to be able to do this without killing someone. And um then you're like, "Oh wait, yes I can. Picard believes in me." So <laughs> I mean, that's that's why the the Picard management tips Twitter feed yeah. is so entertaining mm-hmm. because it yeah. really captures that that competence yeah. and call, yeah. right? I mean, for me, the weird thing through the 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 um, encounter at Farpoint episodes, and this is the first time it struck me that way, and I'm trying to unpack why is uh, Denise Crosby's performance really graded, and she she's it was really I, I kept thinking, is she 
Was she given the direction to go at the really shouty and belligerent and alluding to heavy backstory thing that she did? Or is this like a relic of 1980s TV acting that I don't remember because I, I haven't been marinating in 1980s TV acting? But there's something really mannered and off about her performance that that made me be like, oh, thank God you get killed in a subsequent season. Which, <laughs> which you know... It's only it's oh, it this was, season. It was the same season. It's the first, yeah. first oh, that's season. Right. That's right. I, yeah. I, but I really struggled to. I really struggled to care about the character at all. I had a question, which is: Do you remember thinking this episode was bad when you first watched it? Because oh, yes. I don't. <laughs> I, no. I obviously when I rewatched it this time for this, I thought, oh, okay, now I remember. Now I see what everybody is talking about. But you know, I just watched it once, like on Netflix many years ago, and I thought. Uh, you know, I just, it, you know, I was like, Ooh, cool. New Star Trek. That's how I felt. And, and so I was wondering. I imagine I felt like when Dan Morin talks about seeing um, Star Wars episode one, three times in 24 hours when it came out. Yeah. I, I imagine it's a little like that. It's, I'm so excited about the hype and the fact that there's new Star Trek and Star Trek was my favorite TV show. And now there's new Star Trek. And it took some time for it to kind of settle in and no longer be new and for me to realize that while I was excited by the look of the ship and how it, the the it all distorts when it goes into warp and and data is really interesting and they they actually se- separate the saucer from the rest of the ship which was theoretically right. possible in the original <laughs> Star Trek but they never did it cuz how how could they do that they couldn't right. they barely afford the model they had um and, and, don't break once, it once don't all of those it. kind of like the excitement of the new fell away is when I realized that i mean i i remember by like the second season i had come to the opinion that there was only one really good episode or like good episode in the first season at all and it was the holodeck episode the big goodbye it certainly wasn't encounter farpoint and that's why i said i don't think i've revisited farpoint in total after that first month or two because um you know why would i have <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i mean the the first time through and it was interesting this time because i i don't think i have seen it in 30 years <clears throat> except for that month of watching it over and over again and maybe i watched it enough times but i was remembering scenes and dialogue like two or three minutes ahead of time i'm like yeah. oh wait haven't they gotten to oh here it is yeah. you know it was really kind of disturbing but you know but the first time through it was the excitement of the new. It's like, oh, where are they going? What are they doing? What are they, you know? Mm-hmm. And and even before the second episode had come on, I was already like, okay, this is got to get a lot of work. They need some good writers. <laughs> and I know they had good people involved, but we'll, I mean, we'll get to that. That is, that is one of the issues here is this is very clearly seen from the vantage point of 30 years later. First off, yes. a, it mm-hmm. is not one story. It is, uh, there is obvious creative conflict already happening. The backstory here involving mm. Gene Roddenberry wanting to do one thing and Dorothy Fontana being brought in and she's got, she gets the, the writer credit here, but she and David Gerald were going to be involved in the show. But as you'll find out, they basically aren't involved in the show after this because they, they, they it was a bad situation and what you basically got is this bog standard sci-fi plot that dc fontana put together which is about farpoint station and uh, uh you know the, a space station that is more than it seems and gene roddenberry <laughs> with the whole no an omnipotent being is gonna put mankind on trial and question <laughs> the crew and it is so awkwardly like m- taped together into yeah. this yeah. bloated two episode long 
because that's the other thing about this that struck me is it's so boring like there's so yeah. little happens it's so <laughs> just mm-hmm. loose and flaccid and bad um it's like it's like it's just right and so it's you could tell like from a distance just how broken this thing is like it's not it's not together at all it is like two different things two different ideas that just got put in a blender which is why it's such a testament to the actors that they managed to right. pull some characterization yeah. out of any of that and make you vaguely interested in what was going on with any of them. Even Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton's performance yeah. in this is not bad. And Wesley got way more annoying <laughs> later, but in this where he's just this kid who's, <laughs> who's like yeah, a fan of, of, of uh, Starship Bridges and wants to push yeah. the buttons, like he, yeah. he's kind of adorable. Just yeah. make him an ensign, and he'll be fine. And I loved how Gates McFadden plays it as his mom, where she's like, she's like, can I wait this out? Can I? Okay, I can't wait this out. Fine. All right, we'll do it. <laughs> you know, and she's just, she's just, it's such, it's just such a great shaded performance from her. She's in a much more, she's a tremendously subtle actress, and it, it's all of it is just all of the acting, not all, because I just me me me, but like so many of the <laughs> acting performances are so strong. Which, when you think about it, as Jason said, the episode's a mess. And it's, yeah. it's all yeah. over the place. And John Delancey appears to have come in from a completely separate show. Quite possibly My Little Pony. <laughs> Probably and- Days of Our Lives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, no, but, you know, like, he's clearly on, like, another plane with his acting abilities there. And, yeah. like, there's, so there's that going on. But at the same time, you're like, I kind of dig this child-hating captain. And I want to see if the <laughs> ship, ca- I want to see if this ship continues to treat, uh, you know, Corporal Mancheeks like a moron. And can we, <laughs> can we find out if the doctor's going to have to run the ship because she looks like she's going to have to run the ship and will Deanna Troy get a real skirt I want to see that too and this Klingon's really interesting and 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 I'm into Data and his his weird like Oregonian landscape let's like all of that manages to come through which is something of a minor miracle when you think about it um whoever I, I don't know the name of the casting agent which is where like the five people still online being casting stones at me but like whoever did the final casting on this struck gold. Like it is really rare to get a cast that, that gels that quickly and, and all works at the level that they worked at. It was amazing. And they all elevate each other to be more than the sum of their parts. And that's, I mean, they are right. an ensemble cast. They are one of the classic ensemble casts as far as I'm concerned. Today's episode of The Incomparable is brought to you in part by Audible. Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and much more from leading publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, and business information providers. Unlike a streaming or rental service with Audible, you own your book so you can access them anytime, anywhere from just about any device, including your iPhone, iPad, Android phone, Amazon Fire Tablet, Windows Phone, you name it. Audible makes getting more books in your life easy. They have an unbeatable selection of audiobooks featuring incredible performances by their readers so you can transform your commute, your ride, wherever you are stuck with a desperate need of entertainment cars buses trains those are good places audible can take care of you now among the books available on audible star trek the next generation all good things that's right written uh, written by michael jan friedman read by jonathan frakes how about that also from the incomparable Dan Morin's The Caledonian Gambit is on Audible. And from this very episode, Helene Wecker's The Gollum and the Genie is available 
as well. Get a great audiobook. You can get a free one with a 30-day trial by going to www.audible.com slash Snell. That's audible.com slash S-N-E-L-L for a free audiobook with your 30-day trial. Thank you to Audible for sponsoring The Incomparable. Uh, Patrick Stewart here is playing on another level, I think, for most of the other actors in this. And then there's some people like, you know, I feel like with uh, Marina Sirtis here, like we get like this is how Troy is basically misused for almost the entire show happens here where it's a whole bunch of like her making a face and saying oh pain uh, anger pain and 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 I don't you know I I don't know whether I I can blame her as an actress because this is what they gave her to do and like what are you going to do with it but but that's an example where I what with Troy what we get in Farpoint is kind of what we get for a long portion of the show which is she's just sort like of there to say he's hiding something least. or i sense anger mm-hmm. or great joy and gratitude don't forget the great, great joy and gratitude joy. there's a lot of it and gratitude this raises an interesting question is now that we're all much more fluent in both like emotional literacy and, and emotional labor and emotional management than we were 30 years ago if you were to relaunch this and have a counselor who specialized specifically in handling your emotions as a part of a workplace like her role would be handled by the writer's room so very differently than it was. Because at the time, you can probably, what if there was somebody whose job was to care about how you feel and and she can read minds? And you could tell they're like, we're so open-minded for thinking about that, but... We'll put her in a really tight uniform that's low cut. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Which is the main point. And high cut. Uh, also, it feels really on the nose. Like they, this episode was either written with a plot point designed for them having an empath, or she was written as an empath because of the plot point they wanted to do in this episode. Because it's too perfect, right? It's like literally, mm-hmm. she's the only one who can tell that something is wrong in this. And can we just say, like, the whole thing is is like, oh, but it's actually a space jellyfish that's being enslaved, and I. Love- it, 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 it's it's just like when I said it's a bog standard plot. It's like I looked at this now and I, I'm like, that's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. It took you a while to get to that point. You're a spacefaring race. Why is, why was captivity not like the first thing you thought? Of? Yeah. <laughs> Looking at it in hindsight, um, having seen the the Chaos on the Bridge documentary and having read the Fifty Year Mission. Which are both interesting. The 50-year mission is thick and big and long, but it's kind of fascinating. Um, it it really is like Jean had the thing of, I want an empath and I want her to be hot. And, and <laughs> DC Fontana is the one going, but you need something to do with her. And not what you're thinking, Gene. Um, you know, and, and so that I'm sure the plot came after the idea for her. Uh, but the, the the really interesting thing from for me is uh, my mother struck up a correspondence with DC Fontana at the time when she was still like sending stuff on Next Generation stationery, and reading between the lines, it was sort of like maybe we don't want to write spec scripts for this. But the, you know, she's very circumspect in, in in the letters, looking back and reading the book now and going, Oh, that's what it was like behind the scenes. Oh dear God. Um, it just sounds like it was a mess until they took it away from Jean. 
or until until he deteriorated. And, and this is this is the 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 I know this is kind of a side story, and we've talked about it before when we talked about Next Generation. But one of the sad things here is that um, the original series, uh, although Roddenberry gets and deserves a certain amount of credit for the original series, so much of the heavy lifting on that show that made it what it was was Dorothy Fontana and Gene Kuhn. And Gene Kuhn died in the mid seventies. Dorothy Fontana, uh, Gene Roddenberry brought back to and David Gerald a little bit to work on Star Trek: The Next Generation. The problem is, is in the intervening time, Star Trek had become a cult sensation. And and Gene Roddenberry had gone from being a, a workmanlike TV producer who decided that he was so unhappy with the way the network was treating him, he was going to move on to other things, to the Great Bird of the Galaxy. And so <laughs> he didn't let Dorothy Fontana, who was probably the single person most uh, uh, responsible for the original series being good. I mean, it's either her or Gene Kuhn. They both share that. Um, and he couldn't, he couldn't, uh, keep his hands out of her business. And so what we get is a mess. And then she leaves. And it took years for him to basically, he became so unwell that he couldn't be involved in the show. And that's the mm-hmm. sad truth of why the show got better is that Gene Roddenberry yeah. needed to not be involved in it. But it's a shame that Dorothy Fontana's contribution here is in this lousy episode because she's such a, a good Star Trek writer and, and, and she didn't get a chance. And David Gerald's contribution is writing the novelization of the pilot, Ugh. which which I have sitting here. I'm sure you do. Which is better. It's better than the pilot. Of course. It is. I bet I read it. I can't remember it. Yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> the, the, I'm trying to think what else what else I wanted to mention here. In in Is there anything else that struck you in watching Farpoint back? Like the holodeck, they explain the holodeck. And I think that's kind of a charming scene. Although I did, I did. I think to myself, watching it now, knowing what I know, one of my problems with a lot of um, a lot of this era Star Trek, um, this and Deep Space Nine, is that they did a lot of uh, you know planets uh, uh, in inside right like sets of planets the original series mm-hmm. did that too there's very rarely location filming and i thought it was really funny that here we have the rare star trek example of something they shot outside and for, it's the holodeck for inside right <laughs> oh yeah no the whole time i was watching that the whole time i was watching that scene i was i was watching the movement of the water and trying to figure out if it was like actual water movement or if it was something where it was clearly mechanical and i was like holy crap they let the actress go outside <laughs> <laughs> That's to make sure you see how realistic it is. And, yeah. Right? And it's, it's, it's effective. Yeah. yeah. Griffith Park, I believe. Um, ah, I was yeah. looking up yeah. some of the little details, <laughs> and I thought that was interesting. If I could take one scene from Farpoint and never watch the rest of it again, it would be the scene of Data and Dr. McCoy. Ah, uh, yeah. That's well yeah. done. It I'm is very well done, and it's completely it's it's just there to be there. Yes, yes. And I remember oh, yes. I remember watching it. I mean, even when I was twelve, I was like, "This is you know." No, no one was using the term fan service, but <laughs> I was like, "Okay, this is just for us. This is just for for us diehards." And it was very heartwarming. But looking back, you know, it, it was just another nonsensical thing that they put in there to have the thing in there and it was like the the whole episode was just this grab bag of those and that was like the heartwarming yeah. one even weirder though is that they had to write around it so like Picard's like where's Data and they're like oh he's somewhere else and then he has to go meet Data at a different point there's another one of those too where there's a character god who is it that um oh um he Picard meets Wesley when mm-hmm. he fell in the water 
Um, But he hasn't been introduced to Wesley yet. He's just a kid on the ship. A wet child on the ship, It's not a a mistake, (laughs) per se, because he doesn't know that it's Wesley until later. But Mm -hmm. it's like they got that that shouldn't have been his. Those those have always felt out of order to me. But again, it's a mess. And and the McCoy thing, yeah, he got very Southern the older he got, by the way. It turns out you get that way. But it's it's sweet but unnecessary. But I like like that. Early onset Val degradation. I I like Mm -hmm. the... um, I like the holodeck stuff because if you're going to explain the holodeck, which they're going to use from here on out, we're going to get the holodeck to have it where he throws the rock and it gets all pixelated and all of that. And it seems really real and you could you could fall in the water and all of that. And we also get uh, it's a nice moment where um, Riker says, nice to meet you, Pinocchio, to to Data, which uh, which is setting Data yeah. off on his course. It's super on the nose. Huh? Pinocchio, it's on the mm-hmm. nose. But, <laughs> but, but that also shows you how, yeah. how just kind of like slow this episode is is i believe after nice to meet you pinocchio it just fades out to a commercial break like that's yeah. your commercial break so is... i guess you get up you get your cheetos you're like that Riker. he he sure has wit as well as a uniform <laughs> and you fade back <laughs> in and they're still in the holodeck it's like nothing is happening this it's just go ahead go ahead run some commercials we we're not doing anything here so while i really <laughs> appreciate the holodeck and i think it was clever of the writer's room to come up with that because they're like we've just written ourselves an exit strategy for every season because we can be like, oh, holodeck thing. And next thing you know, they're off having adventures. Um, and that's that's smart. I, I bow down to the writers from people who came up with a holodeck and was like, this will be will be great. Um, the only reason that Data's environment bugs me is I keep thinking you're inside a spaceship. Where is the water coming from? Where is it going? How are you managing those resources? It's hollow water. Um, it's hologram. It's, it's not. Wesley hollow. was like wet when he met Picard. Like that. That is the thing that. Well, that, that was a mistake. Apparently, you know that okay. uh, later yeah. hollow water would not normally be able to exit yeah. with Wesley. And it is funny though, where he's like, "I'm going to go clean this up," and Picard's like, "Yeah, that's a good idea." Good kid. idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just that that whole thing just kind of bugged because I was like, "Wait, this seems like a terrible use of resources for people <laughs> who are going to be in deep space for five years with uncertain supply lines." <laughs> <laughs> Now, another yeah. another thing, kind of like hologra- hol- holodeck water not being wet when it's on a person later, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so data uses contractions here, right? Because yeah, that's, that's, that's something that became a thing that he didn't do, and yet in the finale, I mean, not to jump ahead, but this, this is a minor thing. At one point, he says something like "Q's doing this." Q apostrophe s, and and the fifteen year old goes, "Wait a second. Mm-hmm. If he can't use contractions, how can he do that? Yeah, that's bad programming. And I went, oh, oh yeah, no, oh, you're right, you're right. Oh. Um, let's talk about Q before before mm-hmm. we maybe move on and talk about a book ending this with with all good things. Um, let's talk about Q because that is the other the other part of this. Q re- recurs throughout the next generation, but he starts here. This was the idea that there is this omnipotent being, very much like some things we saw in the original series, including Trelane, but there are a bunch of examples of these omnipotent, sort of playful omnipotent beings. And he has this idea that he's going to spar verbally with Picard and dress up in a bunch of different characters. He's, he's Oliver North at one point. He's a weird guy wearing a Velcro <laughs> yeah. suit, sniffing at uh, drugs 
Cruz. Um, and he's also a guy from a playing card who has a future, uh, a future mm-hmm. trial that he's, uh, he's conducting. Um, John Delancey. Yeah. The, he keep there, there, I'm not a big <sighs> fan of Q, but there are some good Q episodes. This one yeah. seems like it just like a spin the wheel of, of performances and dialogue. And I, I get what, I get what Roddenberry's trying to do here, which is like, you're always on trial and will humanity succeed in trying to do this? But um, I, I, I fast forward through the through the cue bits usually because uh, they're, they're just not very interesting. Everybody else, you know, are, can, can, are you with me here about Q or are there reasons why Q is is good to have around in an episode? Well, you've got to have an element of chaos. <laughs> You need an agent of chaos. It's key. Everybody gets Q in the yeah, draft. You need, yeah, you need an agent of chaos. Now, um, I again, the, like I said, I feel like his performance was for a completely different show, and I actually do wonder how much of that was a director or somebody coming to him and going, "Look, you're not supposed to behave like a human. You're supposed to behave like an alien who wants to unnerve humans." Uh, I be, think that's just be John Delancey and weird. Okay. Yeah, because <laughs> so, he's so like maybe, that yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I liked him on The West Wing. Um, <laughs> and, right, uh, and and so part of the fun in what in rewatching this episode was looking at the inception of the Q persona and then seeing how much he's actually shaded it and changed it over the course of that series. And then into Voyager Mm. and the other places he showed up to Um, those. I didn't fast forward through um, as much as I did the, the, the honestly the far point stuff um so, uh. so that's but i but i will admit i have i have a lot of fondness for q the same way i have a lot of fondness for guinan i'm really fa- i i tend to be temperamentally taken by uh characters that are immortal and cryptic and fun loving and um take like the ten thousand year view like i just love those characters a whole lot so. well, and he certainly evolved into that nicely i don't like him here but by the end of the series i kind of liked him yeah, what's missing here is the personal touch, and that's what you get like by the end of the series is he knows Picard, and he knows – and in fact, I think All Good Things doesn't have as much of that between him and Picard as, as some of the other uh, Q episodes, but where he knows exactly what to do to get on Picard's nerves, and, and there's that shared history between them, and, and, and well, I, I won't – you know, but Mon Capitan. Uh, yeah, exactly, Mon Capitan. But and but that early, that first scene with him, where he uh, ma- he sort of materializes on the bridge, and he's in this weird pirate costume, and he's using a bunch of these and thous, and it looked, it, it happened to me again. I remember the first time I saw this episode, I was like, "What's wrong with his leg?" Because he's got his leg up on sort of the strut, yeah, and mm-hmm. it looks like it's the the angle is completely wrong, where it, it's it's you just can't see his leg, and it looks like he's standing there like, and he doesn't have a leg. He's a pirate. It's a peg leg. That's probably it. It's, 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 it's like the missing peg leg and then he's like turning into these other things and everyone's just sort of standing there watching him going ah like with their heads sort of bent over like they're they're like their dogs listening to something at really high pitch and then it turns into the courtroom and they're all sitting there like they i i, I had this reaction watching it and it was specifically for the cue stuff and the the, the cue stuff uh, where it was like the dialogue between him and the card where it was like how come no one is freaking out? How come right? no one <laughs> yeah. is? Everyone right. is acting. 
acting like, oh, crap, it's another omnipotent being who's going to put us on trial. Well, of course. Okay, everyone, you know what to do. Just sit there and behave yourselves. Tasha, Tasha, you're out of line. You got to get back on script. And and so it was this feeling like we're in a pinter play or something where everyone <laughs> is giving this perfect dialogue that's suddenly at like the 50,000 foot level about humanity and what humanity can do in the stars. And so it was hard for me to sort of decouple that from the weirdness that is John Delancey in this role because suddenly you're just on, it's just out in left field being something completely different and and I was just sitting there watching it like, what am I watching? What is this? Why did they have this in 1987? Was this something <laughs> that we were all supposed to be like totally clued in on and be like, oh yes, this is what you do now? Or is it, it was just like we were in someone's head. It was. So I, I think it was just Gene 20 years out of date. I really hope there's like a, a, a class of the Starfleet Academy that is taught by like an, a member, <laughs> like a former Enterprise crew member where it's like, what to do when the omnipotent being shows up on your bridge because it <laughs> yeah. will happen. Like, like you just have people who come in and share their experiences and they're like, step one, don't freak out because they love that. Yeah, that's right. They can smell fear. You know, like it's, it's basically like, make yourself bigger. Sir? No, that's for mountain lions. What do you see? Them <laughs> Rule number one, don't give them a reaction. They right. crave the reaction. O'Brien has exactly. been, yeah. O'Brien's totally been in that uh, lecture because he doesn't uh, do anything really to react to this. By the way, oh, baby, well, uh, he's also Irish, so he's drunk. Smooth, childlike skin. It was amazing. One of the really nice things about All Good Things that that I really like is that they not only do they bring back Denise Crosby for the umpteenth time um, because I think she obviously had regrets about leaving a show that became a hit after the first season, (laughs) so she kept coming back. But (laughs) Colmini, like he was, he was like literally bridge guy, supernumerary number two, essentially (laughs) in this. And then and then they kept reusing him and they put him in at the transporter and they gave him a, a last name and then eventually they gave him a first name and by mm-hmm. the time and the show wife. was wrapping up he was a regular on the spin-off show deep space nine right so but he was he's there in the pilot wearing a red outfit instead of his mm-hmm. gold outfit that he would that he would wear later and so in all good things uh, they use it like they're like, yeah, that mm-hmm. totally was O'Brien, and we're going to have dialogue with him because there's not that many interesting people on the Enterprise at that point, right? Because they're all at far mm-hmm. are at fall at Farpoint Station with the stock footage of Jonathan Frakes without a beard that they <laughs> that they have to drop in. It's that was so artfully great. done. It was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Marina Sirtis has to get back into the mini dress, but they they're like, "Well, oh, Franks, you can just dub things off screen." <laughs> yeah, well, they didn't make him shave or anything. But I love I love that Calmini. Not only does he get to come back because it was sort of a beloved recurring character, and he got so beloved that he got spun off. Um, to have him come back and just based on the oddity, the sheer oddity of the fact that he was a bit player in the pilot by accident, essentially. Um, so I, I love that. Among the things that I love about All, all Good Things, which we should probably talk about now, um, I love that. Um, I also love the construction of All Good Things as an episode that is that is the last episode of, of The Next Generation and takes place in that time frame, but features flashbacks to the first episode. How brilliant is that? And also into yes. the future to make you think about where do these characters go in the future? And uh, and and Q comes back and his courtroom. Although the um, 
the uh, the 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 people in the courtroom who are seen as hallucinations throughout this are not exactly the same people who are in uh, what far, far point, but mm. it's fine. No. <laughs> And they're shouting, but you can't hear them. And they're, they're I desperately want hands. that chair cue, got the one that sweeps you all around, and 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 <laughs> the, the 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 looming swooping chair. That is the best piece of furniture ever. It's it's a luma crane with a chair. It's on a it. it's a it's a crane in Encounter at Farpoint. In all good things, it feels like it's uh, an effect. Like they didn't want to bring in the crane. <laughs> when you see him against the black background, that's an effect. Yeah. And and all the sideways shots are just sort of like, yeah, we'll carry him in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God, I love the it. Chair- changed and it, it was I, yeah. I watched the episodes like with one day in between and I was like oh but it looks so much better in the second one and I like the first <laughs> one better that it doesn't have like the little carvings on it it was more just sort of like this this big brutalist piece of of you know oh no no like rococo ugliness is the greatest thing ever because it's so in line with it's so in line with who q is i mean okay you got a good point but this is a dude who showed up in other episodes in velvet pajamas like he just has this aesthetic that is like las vegas meets a meets a a, a dictator regime and you just kind of have to roll with it i want to see that show actually that is really i mean i'm i'm looking at at, at q in in that outfit i'm like you know this would make a really good Halloween costume, and it would sort of sort the wheat from my chaff as far the far, the chaff as far as my neighbors go. Like, okay, <laughs> who, who, which one know? of you? Who knows? Who knows? Get, who your, get your husband to make the chair for you too. I feel like it's Ooh. it's got to be like a whole thing where you just kind of loom onto their lawns and back again. <laughs> your Halloween treats are being judged. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be like the best. That would be like the best costume for a baby. Then, since you've already got the stroller. It's it's like bobbing for humanity. I wanted to say, um, talking about just uh, shout outs, you know, to the acting like Picard as an old guy, really, mm. he was good because he was very annoying. I mean, I was thinking <laughs> I would totally, I would not believe this guy. I would like, yes, let's heavily sedate him and get him yes. back to the home. Isn't that um, scene where he, he gets all cranky and he's like, I don't tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do. And I, what I'll do is what you told me to do, which is I'm going to go to have a nap now. And the doors close <laughs> and they all look at each other like, oh man. And it's such a great scene where like, oh man, he's totally yeah. gone. He's where, far gone. Oh, when he comes back Grandpa's into the bar and it. they all nudge each other and they're like, oh God, here we go again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I, I've, I've seen those looks in nursing homes though, where we're like relatives like, oh boy, here we go. Mm-hmm. This this was like two years after my grandmother started sliding into the Alzheimer's, and it was exactly like that. They they yeah. portrayed that. No, it really was really well. good. Yeah, so Patrick good. Stewart. And that, the way he got agitated that that yes. Yes. just yes. that yes. feeling of up, yeah. Well, yeah. What, when he and Jordy in that first like scene in the vineyard <gasps> where Jordy mm-hmm. comes and is like, "Hey, how's it going?" Just in the neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. and then they get talking, you know, and he, you know. It's revealed that uh, Picard has a has some you know fatal condition and but the the two of them in the vineyard for a long time that was a long scene talking about it and Jordy's not totally believing him and it felt like I said I could totally see these guys doing like waiting for Godot 
on yeah. stage mm-hmm. because they were really good in that yeah. that like kind of absurdist. Everybody is so much more comfortable, obviously, at the end of the seven years of doing these characters and all that. But you could, yeah. it's such it's yeah. such a stark difference, right? To see how these mm-hmm. all these actors have settled into these roles and they they uh, the, and how good the casting was and how they they all and the writers understand who these characters are in a way that they absolutely did not in episode mm-hmm. one. Well, also better writers and better yeah. writers yeah well that, <laughs> that, that, that's true well and and i mean one thing that struck me this time was um like i said i have not seen farpoint in forever and looking at them partly it's the writing partly it's the the costumes being so tight and so one piece and everything they just look like action figures mm. whereas oh, in yeah. all good things even even when they're wearing that style of outfit they're human beings. Oh, the right? uniforms really got distinct. so much better after season two. And, like, and yes. it's so just, nice that that that, be, that in all good things it becomes, it becomes such a, a great clue. visual cue mm-hmm. to know which yeah. time frame you're in. That they've all got the yeah. like collarless jumpsuit mm-hmm. things. Yeah, so great. And the lighting they did the lighting slightly different on oh, the yeah. bridge, didn't they? Yeah. In all yes. three yeah. time frames, the Enterprise bridge looks different, which is you really can cool. tell. Yeah. You can tell. You can tell yeah. where you are based on the lighting, which I really, I really love it when a show does that. Yeah, yeah. It was very smart. The, the editing, <laughs> the editing is so fantastic. With the Gates McFadden fan club here, like the way she alters her voice when she's the cap- oh, when, yeah. when she's Asian, oh, yeah. yeah. and she's and she's the captain of the Pasteur. It is the the voice acting and the timbre of her voice and how clear it is. She changes it so skillfully that she convincingly sounds like she's thirty years older. Than, than she actually is playing. And it's phenomenal that she pays that much attention to how she carries herself and, and how she sounds. And it's not just, oh, we sprayed some gray in her hair and she's got some latex and she's trying to look tired. Like it's bone deep with, with, the, with the job that she did. And it's amazing. I, I really feel like we need to call that out. That's a stage actress right there. They, um, they had to kill off Troy. Because yeah. they couldn't figure out what to do with her in the future, um, make her old and slightly empathic, or what? Uh, well, you know, it, so. they use that as a, I mean, the story arc in the se- seventh season of her and Worf kind of dating, yeah. and the question, and it's dealt with in the very beginning of the question of like, well, what about what about Riker? And so they, you know, instead they had it be like she dies tragically off screen at some point, and they uh, therefore kind of can't ever forgive each other, and they never bury the hatchet, yeah. and, and right. they, they use it as a and, nice and point. Are angry about it, yeah. Back in the present, I, mean, I think for them, I think that, that that worked. I just think like you know, a cheesier show would have had uh, um, Deanna with with Worf, you know, the governor's wife, wherever and whatever right. planet he was on. I sense Klingons; they're just angry <laughs> all the time. That's all I can sense. <laughs> I like the absent friends kind of idea that not all of them are going to make it down the road twenty five yeah, yeah. years, and they're going to be sad. Military. That's, That's a good true. point. That's also, a really good point. The, the, yeah. They had to have a very distinct mix of who was in what time period. Like right. everybody's in the oh, present. Yeah. Some mm-hmm. of the crew is in the past, but only about half of them, and right. some of the crew are in the future. And it's a nice balance. So I didn't mind that. And I mean, the whole seventh season when they were starting into the, the you know, oh, are Worf and Troy going to do a thing? And and you could tell they weren't totally convinced by it. In retrospect, in the 50-year mission, they say, yeah, we weren't totally convinced by it either. But we went ahead and tried it. And But this episode is the only good thing that came out of it. Because that's, all right, yeah, I can see that. And I like that. No, I like because that. The, the Parallel Universe episode is great. And that's that it kicks off the oh, whole well, romance right, fair plot, enough. And that's a great episode. Fair mm-hmm. enough. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, 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 no, and they and they and they undid it, right? They undid it, and they ended yes. up marrying Riker and Troy <laughs> together after very all, quickly. So. One of the fun things about All Good Things is that although it purports to be showing the three timelines, it becomes clear as the episode goes along and the past diverges completely from what actually happened and nobody in the present remembers it happening that way. It's its own weird diverged timeline that uh, by the end, the, the it's strongly suggested that the future that they saw is also not written and subsequent de- developments in the movies actually make that, I mean, one of the first things they do in the, in the movie that they shot right after this is blow up the Enterprise so it can't be there in the future like it is in this so i like that that it's like they they aren't it's not like a a last episode of a show that does a flash forward and says this is where everybody will be in 20 years instead it just sort of says that was a possible future but now they're going to go make their own destiny which is what you have to do i know when you're going to go off and make movies but i like it as a series ender too to like get us to think about them and their relationships without like locking anything in stone that yes this is what's going to happen to troy and picard and Riker and Worf and you know all of those things and it and it just sort of uh echoes the you know the last line the sky's the limit it's like we're not yeah. going to it's it's all about the possibilities the idea that that um that q has that it's about charting i have the i took it down the charting the unknown possibilities of existence it's like we're not going to lock us ourselves into anything this is this is going to be you know here's a possibility and let's learn from that and and move on and 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 go towards what we can yeah i just really love the last episode so much because it's just so optimistic in so many ways it's it's ugh. Yeah. And Data has so many cats. How many Data cats does Data has, have? He has six cats that I counted. You counted and six? I, we yeah, talked about character I mean, development. Data, Data's character development is kind of a joke, but it's kind of like, what else would you do with, I mean, Data... I love that he's a crazy cat lady. Yeah, with, a, a, with a white streak in his in his hair because he thinks yeah. it looks distinguished. It yeah. makes him look like a skunk. This is why we don't need to fear the artificial intelligence uprisings because <laughs> it's just going to get cats. distracted by cats, by cats and and we'll be okay. If, <laughs> if, yes, if the global AI emerges from the internet, it will be constructed of cat pictures, and therefore yeah. will be and, no threat to anyone. And and he keeps a maid because she amuses him. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I, I I enjoy what they do with data, mostly because it it just seems like such a a, a retro idea of a what you would program an android to do and 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 b how the android iterates and see how society treats them um it's it's quaint yeah he's got and, full analog this android yeah. he's the most analog <laughs> of all he's books yeah. you know books and a tea serving maid and lots of yeah. cats and and brent spider just like digs his teeth into it and shakes oh, it yeah. until it submits it's, 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 <laughs> it's good performance it's, by brent spider too because then yeah. that allows him to contrast with where he's taken the character in seven seasons Ooh, and right. then when he gets to act as data in the first season again and kind of go back to being super and again i don't know if it matches up with how he actually performed uh in the first episode but it definitely is a nice interpretation for him of like how he everybody who's in the flashback gets to kind of do one of those this is how far we've come kind of moments also that great moment that i really like which is just totally a uh where picard is like mr Worf, do a security tactical or whatever and tosh is like um that's my job Right, right, and and you know it's tinged with tragedy because she's going to die and it's very sad, but it's also kind of funny because it's like yeah no I just uh, I I have Worf do that stuff because it's his job he he grew. (laughs) 
Yeah. And and to be fair to Picard in, in Encounter at Farpoint, you can't tell what anyone does. No. Everyone's just sort of there doing stuff. What is Worf? Why is he? I mean. He's there to be the Klingon on the bridge. Like everyone, every ship needs a Klingon. I actually remember the promo, which was the guy, um, the guy who did the Love Boat voiceovers, David, uh, mm-hmm. right? Oh, what's his name? Uh, and his, his, his. But yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And, and it was, he was listing off. It's like, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, first officer. <laughs> Will Riker, ship's counselor Deanna Troy, security officer Tasha Yar, Klingon officer Worf. And it's like, that's his job? <laughs> Is that he's a Klingon? <laughs> that's it? <laughs> yeah, I guess. At that point, yes. I guess. It's yes, always it was. so awkward when you have to make the Klingon hire. They should be hired on their merit, not on, not on, <laughs> on their forehead ridges. Look, we exactly. need a Klingon <laughs> officer. You are Klingon, therefore... <laughs> It's a, it's you know all good things is a it's a sweet episode. It is it is a mishmash in a way that is a mirror of Encounter at Farpoint because it's just sort of like you know there's an anomaly doesn't matter like it, it's it's it, <laughs> no it doesn't. I mean working working backwards through time and yet they can find it after it's yeah. not mm-hmm. there and it's like well yeah. maybe it goes okay. both directions, but, David. Uh, I don't know, but it doesn't. But it, it doesn't, doesn't matter because it works. It works yeah. sentimentally and emotionally. It's and that's such a generous final episode because yeah. my, my yeah. complaint about a lot of final episodes in series is that either they're like oh we're gonna completely mess with the viewers so that you can talk about it online for three weeks or <laughs> or it's or it's hoary or they'll do something dramatic like blow things up set things on fire have surprise weddings whatever and the reason i characterize this one as generous is it's just there for it's it's a reward for people who watch the show and what you get to do is see a group of really competent people who like and respect each other, continue to like and respect each other and be competent and solve problems and carry on with a sense of optimism. And it doesn't feel like a finale so much as it feels like, okay, this chapter's over, but bye. You know, it'll, it'll keep going. You, you know, this, this universe is in good hands because we're still here and we'll be around. It, 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 it's very sweet in a way. And I yeah. find it really reassuring in, in, in a fashion that I don't get from other series finales where it's like, we're closing the door on this world <laughs> or, or we're going to leave you with one final mystery to solve to the tune of don't stop believing or. <laughs> or we're going to be or, completely nihilist and destroy everything that came before us just because we're like because because we're blowing do- it up and it's Doctor yeah. Sam Beckett never returned home. Yeah, no, I find this <laughs> I find this to be extraordinarily respectful to both the audience and to the characters, and it's sweet and reassuring. And in a TV landscape now where we have a lot of very deliberate shock value and a lot of irony um, and a lot of uh, excessive. Uh, thinky thinky we demand engagement like to have something that is this has this much clarity of purpose and and this this much gentle respect at the heart is really rare and that last line Stuart underplays it so beautifully that that is a tightrope because that's a line that's going to be like a gut punch to everyone watching and yet it has to be totally meaningless to them it's just a moment it's just part of their lives it's just so warm and wonderful exactly and just just the fact that he's always wanted to join their game and he just does that's it there's no that last scene is so inspired it is it is building for those who don't remember all the episodes of the next generation um the poker game is a running bit 
it, it it never has Picard in it, but it is the the crew members, and they talk, and then we learn things about themselves, and we learn things about uh, about Riker. He totally cheats, by the way. He's not kidding. Oh, yeah. He totally cheats. <laughs> um, yeah. And then in this last scene, before Picard comes in, you know, it is the moment that Picard's finished his kind of voyage, and they're talking about what happened and what do you think, and we should. There's a, that moment between Riker and 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 Worf where they're like, we're not going to let, you know, we're not going to let anything come between us, and and you know, we're we're all adults here and you and troy can date whatever like it's it's a very warm scene of like everybody they've they put seven years in here every every exchange is is really nice and and lets you understand who these characters are and we all know who they are and then there's that moment where the door well first the door opens and who comes in somebody comes in is it Troy? Is it Troy comes in. Troy, and yeah. Then, yeah. And then, and then, so and she says, "Am I too late?" Right. And they pull up mm-hmm. a chair and all that. And then the, the the door chimes again, and it's Picard. And that, the, I think, my favorite thing in this whole episode, everybody like looks at each other. They're like, like, whoa, yeah. Picard is here. <laughs> yeah. Is is something wrong, Captain? And it's so wonderful. And and Stewart does such a great job too, where he's where where he, where he says, "What is it? I should have done this a long time ago, or something like that." It's like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh. that that pause when he's about oh. to deal and he just stops and looks at everyone. And that's the moment, right? That is the it, yeah. didn't, oh. it didn't do this to me 23 years ago and and like I say a lot of things don't still don't make me cry. I started tearing up watching that this time because I'm 23 years older and I'm thinking on my life and and people that I've lost and people who've come back. Yeah, and, and he's he's in that moment having experienced them in the future and and going their separate ways and knowing in that moment as you know inside the narrative of like i should appreciate these people because i i've spent all this time with them and and you you can't take it for granted and of course on the outside all of us are like this is it this is the end right right (laughs) and and that cheesier show that cheesier show would have done a montage of each of their faces Uh. as he's looking at them and then he would have been and the sky's the limit Right? No, and, no, and it's this just, trusts this, this us quiet to just look at him of everybody. Yeah. and let him think and see him thinking. I love I love shows and movies that show characters thinking, and it's those seven core characters sitting around the table. And the, uh, it's a ni- nice touch, uh, by the way, by uh, by the director who is Winrick Colby, who um, does the crane shot like and 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 pulls up mm-hmm. over them and you see them all sitting around the table and that's the the last and, the, and it's just Picard and the dealing of the cards become the windows mm-hmm. in the ship so good such a, <laughs> I, I think i i have yeah. i mean we could do an episode at some point about about endings and beginnings actually both yeah. of tv yeah. series we this should. is one of the best last episodes of a television series ever made yeah. i think I really yeah. think. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think anyone's going to fight you on this one. I think we're all yeah. like, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just just not not making you think less of the series as a whole, celebrating what people loved about it. Um, you know, it's well, it's well done. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't kind of leave you with a bad aftertaste or anything. Because, you know, like I said, I, I like the beauty of it is like, well, that was just a possible future. And now we're not going to we're not going to go down that road. We're going to learn from what he saw. And so you end up optimistic about where they're all where they're all going. And, and you don't feel like uh, like a door has been closed. And they, it's also not like we're going to go take the Enterprise back to Earth and park it and go our separate ways. They're they're voyaging on. Right. And I know, yes, they're making movies and that's why they're doing it that way. But it's still it so works as a series finale of like the story continues we really appreciate these people this was a nice way for us to say goodbye to our friends one last time and 
Yeah. And even more than knowing that they were going to go off and do movies, like uh, Ron Moore and Brandon Braga wrote Star Trek Generations. They had something like a year to do it. They were writing it on, uh, off and on through that whole seventh season. And it had lots of studio notes and everyone was poking in and changing and doing this. No, we got to do this. And Kirk needs this and whatever. And they just assumed that one of the showrunners would, would take over writing the finale. And at the last second, they went, hey, you guys, you want to write the finale? And so they wrote that thing in a month with almost no notes. And it's such a it's a far better story yeah. episode than generations oh my god well i mean they didn't How have did any of those that? without studio notes and constraints like they had with generations they got to right. they got to make the show they knew and yeah and they nailed it right yeah. <laughs> i was just on a uh on a video show on the internet somewhere with a bunch of people who were asked what their favorite star trek was and everybody but me said the next generation and i said well or, the original series is near and dear to my heart but the next generation is the one that i obsessed over um and I think that's uh, am I am I wrong? And I get the sense from all of you that that it's a similar situation where Next Generation has some has, uh, mm-hmm. or at least for many of you, has a special resonance. This seems to be one that a lot of people hold dear because it's the one that was relevant and coming out when you know none of us were watching in 1967 on NBC. I think so. Ahem. No, Gene, no, no, you're I far ra- too young for that. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, that's where I get my cred, my Star Trek oh, cred okay. back is actually watching it when I was little. Wow. And my and my my father even said that we bought a color TV so we could watch Star Trek. <gasps> Best parents ever. I know. Anyway, <laughs> I just but, missed it. I was born just after they canceled. It. Yeah. Same. Anyway, but yeah, um I know what you're, I've noticed this, like, uh, I listen to Random Trek, you know, obsessively. I know how people, you know, choose their Star Trek very often. It's the one that they grew up with, or the one like this one where, you know, everyone was old enough to watch it, you know, from the beginning. As you know, I did not watch it from the very beginning. And um, I I do love this show. I think it's really great. Um, But I'm still a Voyager uh, Voyager is still my number one. So I'm I'm kind of I I always loved Stuart. I always loved Captain Picard, and yeah, I did watch it every week. And I did, you know, that was the show we arranged our Saturdays around. You know, if we were somewhere yeah. else, we had to be home by seven o'clock, yeah. even if we had set up the the VCR. Uh, but I really don't go back to watching it. I mean, there are very few episodes I've seen more than once. There are a couple that I've seen 20 times, but the original series I can still watch endlessly. The good ones, the bad ones, all of them. Um, and, and yet some of my very favorite episodes are, are Deep Space Nine episodes. Go figure. Like my, my absolute favorite Trek is a Deep Space Nine. I recognize that Deep Space, it, it's, I have that sort of, what, the difference between what you think is the best and what you th- what, what's your favorite, which is that I, I recognize mm. that Deep Space Nine in many ways was a better show, was a more um, mature and, and willing to go into the gray areas and just from dramatically from storytelling perspective, they, they did, they were more willing to, to sort of go into uh, complexity. And 
still Next Generation is my favorite. But I have, but it really was just sort of like this capsule of seven years that I never went back to afterwards. And it's just this time in my life that was very formative. So now, like in, in, in a different way than like Doctor Who just sort of extended from my, you know, basically puberty onwards. <laughs> um but but now, like you know, I've watched these. I watched uh, an episode recently for um, uh, for Random Trek. Uh, oh, after Random Trek, I went and watched it, and I'm I'm watching this with my husband, and we're both sort of watching like. Why don't we go back and watch more of these? Why haven't we seen these for the last, you know, why is the last time we saw this episode 25 years ago or whatever? You know, this is actually decent stuff. So let's go back and see it again. And like we've had since watching um, earlier this week, these two episodes, like suddenly all we're talking about is Star Trek and we're talking about all these like, oh, wait, you never saw that one? How could you never see that one with Barclay or, you know, whatever? And I'm like, well, what were you doing that I wasn't watching it? And I'm just sort of wistful now. <laughs> I know. Well, it's, well, it's the series of my heart. There's 150 the episodes. Yeah. And, yeah. and and we can revisit them all in beautiful, high definition, yeah. remastered right. and all that on streaming whenever we want. And that's that's nice because that's that, that in that 150 episodes there are a lot of really fun, good episodes. And without, you know, without the next generation finally kind of turning the corner, how it got to a third season, I don't even know. But uh, that the Star Trek as a franchise, as a television franchise, would have been over, right? And Next Generation yes. made, it, made it work. Yeah. Well, give, at the time, if you had asked me, I would have said, oh, Jim Kirk is my hero, yay! And and he's a, he's a fun, swashbuckling, boy's own adventure kind of, you know, fine. Um, and I still love Jim Kirk, obviously. Uh, but I, I kind of want to be Picard. Oh, I like yeah. watching yeah. Kirk. Who doesn't I mean, want to be Picard? He's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, it's sort of like that's how an original Riker is, that he's basically a proto Shatner and all Gene could think to do for a name was invert the consonants. Come on. <laughs> you know, but Picard is actually a fascinating person. And, you know, he's he's always cool and he's always level headed. And, you know, I kind of want to be him. And I, I I try to be him when I think about it. Um, you know, yeah. when when there's a crisis. I'm the I'm the calm, level-headed one, and in in the back of my head, I'm just like, make it so, you know. That's, <laughs> and in the it's end, very soothing. That is the bit of, in addition to the casting, the bit, the and the, the building of these characters and the way it's structured. I, I got to give it to, to however much of that is Gene Roddenberry to credit. I've got to credit him. The idea that a character like Picard is in charge of the ship, that there is a there is a a, a bald Englishman, Shakespearean trained actor with a French last name running the Enterprise. And it's, he, so he's very much not Captain Kirk. And Riker is more of the Kirk figure. Um, such a weird decision because you could have expected them to just totally replicate the original series. And such a good decision that really like made the show to have Picard as a very different captain from Kirk. And... Um, and, and and still have you know have your action guy in Riker, um, just such a good move. Like Picard is the key to this, and not a it's a it's a lateral move. It is not. I think everybody at the time back in eighty seven, I can remember people are like, what are they doing? Yeah. Who is this guy? This English oh, yeah. bald English actor is going to be the captain of the ship on Star Trek and. Boy, were they lucky to cast him, and it was such a smart move to have that character, and they just, they they rolled, 
that you know what a good, what's a good thing to roll they made it was like a they rolled know, the dice they rolled they rolled the <clears throat> dice and they rolled well incredibly they were yeah. very lucky they, they rolled a seven on the first fade on I, the first pass I don't i'm sorry have any idea what that means yeah it's, <laughs> is that it's, horse okay. racing? it's guys and dolls talk it's guys okay. and dolls talk. i don't know <laughs> all right well happy 30th anniversary to star trek the next generation well done a lot of fondness for this show and uh and they got a lot better than that first episode, so that's also good. But, uh, yep. you know, the jellyfish, the space jellyfish end up happy at the end. That's really all that matters, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. They touch they touch tentacles and go off into space, and it's great. What is it? What is it, Helene? Great joy. Great joy. And, and gratitude. gratitude. And gratitude. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Well, we feel that, too. I'd like to express great joy and gratitude to my panelists for joining me on this episode. Aww. Gene McDonald, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. Lisa Schmeiser, thank you. I had a great time. Thank you. Helene Wecker, thank you so much. Thank you very much. And David Lohr, uh, don't let me make an ass of myself with children. <laughs> As always, I'll see you out there. You're so stolid. You weren't like that before the beard. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and thanks it's everybody true. out there for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. 